0: Well, thank you for the truth of that song, Leaning on Jesus, the simplicity of it, yeah, the truth of it. Help us to, to learn to do that, to lean on you for all things, to, to, to not trust our own understanding, but in all things acknowledge you and you will direct our paths. Thank you for that. I pray for the young ones, they will learn that today, each week as they come to Friends of Jesus. And Lord, be with us in the sanctuary as we hear, are here to hear your word, to hear your spirit speak to us. About our walks with you. Help us to, to walk by faith, not by sight. To Trust you. Trust your word. Be among us, Lord, in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Enjoy. <clears throat> good morning, good morning. Welcome to our second worship service today. And our, we've begun a, a series on the gospel according to Chronicles, First Chronicles, um, the, the good news according to Chronicles, and today's, today's title is Disordered Worship. The book of Chronicles, the real focus of it is worship and, and the worship of God when you think about it, and today we're going to talk about disordered worship. There, you know, wh- what is it that makes worship of God orderly? What is it that makes it in order? Wh- what What is it that makes it effective and good? And what is it that makes it not good? Now, there's a lot of disordered worship going on in our world. A couple examples one is is, is uh, the appalachian snake handlers i mean these are people who are sincere very sincere and and they're they're, they're misapplying some verses in scripture um at best they're foolish at worst they're, they're presumptive and even um deadly in the things that they believe but uh, that's disordered worship we don't we don't go for that uh, there's also a disordered worship in other parts of the world i mean in Hindu, the Hindu cultures of of, of of India, for instance, they honor animals above humans uh, due to their doctrine of reincarnation, and their worship is out of order. It's, it's quite sincere, but out of order. It's disordered worship. Disordered worshippers. There are many churches that are very traditional and orthodox in the look and the feel and the liturgy, but they might be solidly biblical, but but there's just no life there. There's no sincerity there. There's no heart. For God, the worship experience falls short because the worshipers are simply mouthing words, simply reciting biblical truths that may be uh, right on the page but they're not on their hearts, insincere worship that's disordered worship as well, you know in the gospel of John chapter 4, Jesus talks to the woman at the well and the conversation moves towards worship that's in spirit and in truth spirit and in truth. In spirit means sincerity of heart. In truth, this correct doctrine. Worshiping the true God in the right way. Heart and mind must be appropriately connected to God if worship is to be effective in honoring to the Lord. And This book of Chronicles, you see, is about worship. And, and last week, Pastor Craig opened it up, started for us looking at the uh, chapter 9, which the, the, the whole first nine chapters are this genealogy, as we saw last week. The, all the long list of names of the people taking us from Adam all the way to that generation before the exile, reminding us of the many faceless, the many unknown, the many servants who are just loved by God, but do it quietly, without recognition. At least those people have their names in Scripture. Many through the centuries have not. Millions. Yet their, their names are written where it counts Their names are written in heaven In the Lamb's book of life Chapters 1 and 9 take us from, from, Again from Adam to that generation In chapter 10 Which we're looking at today The book slows down It slows down a little bit It covers Saul, King Saul The first king of Israel and th- This unique chapter is a bridge chapter Between the genealogy And the glorious reign of, of David Where it's going to slow down even more this chapter's about King Saul, son of Benjamin. The, the chronicler summarizes for us in 14 verses what in 1 Samuel, he take, they, the, the writer takes 22 chapters to give. So this is, this is all we're gonna have about Saul other than the genealogy parts. So let's, let's look at this, let's read the scripture of 1 Chronicles chapter 10, it's 14 verses here, ESV translation, you see it on the overhead there. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died. Thus Saul died, and he and his three sons, and all his house died together. When all the men of Israel who were in the valley saw that the army had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, They found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They stripped him and took his head and his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of their gods and fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. But when all Jabesh Gilead heard all that the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and took away the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons and brought them to Jabesh. Jabesh. They buried their bones under the oak in Jabesh and and fasted seven days. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. God's word. God is displeased when we worship Him with hearts that are insincere, when we worship Him with idolatry, that we worship Him uh, with a life that's committed to, to a spiritual adultery, worldliness. But on the contrary, God is delighted when we worship Him with sincere hearts, when we worship the true living God with sincere hearts. We're going to see in this, in this chapter a man whose worship was out of order. His name is Saul. He's not just any man. He's the king king of Israel. First, the king of Israel. One commentator said that a king's commitment to God set the tone for the nation. We, we heard in the reading of Scripture earlier from Deuteronomy 17 and 18 that we, we saw there were warnings about the desire, they're having a desire for a king. They, they, they gave in. They didn't heed those warnings. They, they decided they wanted a king. In fact, we have the account for that in 1 in Samuel chapter 8. We read a little bit of that chapter. The, all the elders of Israel gathered together to Samuel, the, the old prophet, and he said, they said, Behold, uh, again, this is First Samuel chapter 8, verse 5. You are old, and your sons don't walk in your ways. Now point for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Catch that? Like all the other nations. The, but this thing displeased Samuel when they said this. So God talks to Samuel then, and God says, They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me for being king. So God acquiesces, and God allows them to, yes, to have a king, and Saul is the one. In fact, the next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 9, there was the first verse, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was, was Kish, and the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Athea, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. He had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. He was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now, did you, did you catch the, the description of Saul there? He's from a wealthy home. He was handsome. He was young. He was tall. So was like tall, dark, and handsome. I don't know if he was dark. He was tall and handsome. Whatever. And he was the choice. He was the choice. So from chapter 9 of Samuel, 1 Samuel, to the end of 1 Samuel, chapter 31, we have Saul's story. And it's a sad story. The chronicler, though, doesn't go into all the details because they, have, they already know that. That's their history. They know this history. He's just going to review for them. But in this chapter 10, we have an overview. The first seven verses talks about the battle with the Philistines, where, where, which was the last battle, where Saul actually, if you heard the reading, Saul actually, he, he, is a, he wants to have an assisted suicide, but his armor bearer won't do it. And so, so Saul does it himself. But Saul's death, that, that shows up in 1 Samuel chapter 31. Saul, so to the chronicler, all you need to know is how it ended with Saul. Essentially. And then verses 8 to 12 of our chapter, you know, he didn't want, he didn't want to, 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 be, to have them find him because he knew they would torture him. But they tortured his dead body. They, 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 they tortured his dead body. and so But they desecrated his body and we have the end not only of him but of, his, of the house of Saul. 8 to 12. Then we have verses 13 to 14. And I'm going to focus today on those two verses, 13 and 14. This is the Chronicles summary. This is his his, um, understanding of what's gone on within Saul's life and and the place of Saul in in, in God's history. It's a transition statement because Saul in Chronicles is just a transition. It's one chapter to get us to David. And and the the key idea is three words in the ESV, breach of faith. The breach of faith. Verses 13, and 13, we see that. Um, I want to talk about, first of all, the, this concept of breach of faith. And then, what are the signs and markers and the results of the evidence that faith has been breached? And then, lastly, we'll talk about the God who repairs the breach. The God who comes in and repairs and restores those with breached faith. Okay, first, of all, So, the breach of faith. The translation is quite interesting. And ESV translates it one way. I, I, I created a chart for you to see. That there's at 20 different translations. Only one of them used the phrase breach of faith. That was troublesome to me. But, but, but seven of them used the term unfaithful or not faithful, and, and so, which is very similar to this idea of breach of faith. You, you don't need to know, just, there's 20 translations there. And this word's is translated in a lot of different ways. But I like the way the, e, the, the ESV translation translates. Breach of faith, breaking faith. Um, breach, interesting word Uh, the dictionary definition of breach an infraction or a violation of a law obligation or standard a broken, ruptured or torn condition or area or gap as in a wall made by battery or a break in a custom friendly relations a temporary gap in continuity breach, breach when something's broken in Isaiah chapter 58 a great chapter about about God's people being people who are just the, the, uh, the prophet says uh, Isaiah 58 verse 12 Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt You shall raise up the foundations of many generations You shall be called the repairer of the breach The restorer of streets to dwell in The repairer of the breach The restore the one who's going to fix up that which is broken A breach breach A castle, a gulf A cissure uh, so, Several weeks ago I believe uh, Simone Perez of, of Israel died That's That's him uh, he was involved, famous from Israel. He was fam- involved in the, in the 90s you know, with a peace treaty, um, with and um, uh, as you can see, Clinton was part of that. President Clinton was part of that uh, with Yasser Arafat. Uh, a peace treaty in, in the Middle East. A lot, been a lot of Middle East peace treaties in, in history, by the way. Peace treaty, political treaty. You may be, be familiar with the gangs, the Bloods and the Crips. They occasionally have these times where they're going to lay down their weapons and have a peace treaty. In fact, that happened during the Freddie Gray riots, if you remember correctly, a, few, uh, a year and a half ago. The Bloods and the Crips, they say, we're going to have peace for a while. Peace treaty. Where they decide to, to, to not fight for a while, to, not, to, 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 to mend their ways. Treaty. Recently, at our, our, our home, we changed internet providers. <laughs> and... Um, when you do that, uh, if, you, if you do it at the, r- at the wrong time, which is you know, most of the time, um, there's a penalty, there's a fee, a termination fee, which we had to pay. We knew that, but my point is there's a contract, and you have fulfilled a contract, and when you break that contract, when you break that agreement, when you break that commitment, there's a price to pay. And whenever you break a covenant or break an agreement, there's a price. Because the, 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 what, the, the people of God have a covenant with God. And when you break the covenant, there's a price to pay. There's pain. Treaties and agreements between nations and gangs and internet providers get broken. But more sad is when treaties with man and God get broken. There's a price. And so Saul is broken faith. There's a breach of faith. His heart and his head are not right. And, and, and a couple a couple allusions here to things that, that happened in the book of 1 Samuel. Again, they know these stories, maybe we don't. Let me review three things that happened in the book of 1 Samuel. First incident is chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, where Saul is involved in improper, words, improper sacrifice. Uh, the prophet Samuel says, look, go to Gilgal, wait seven days, and when, when I get there, we're gonna have, I'll do the sacrifice, and, and we can go on, and, and the Lord will speak to you through me. And he went there, and he got impatient. So he, the king, did the sacrifice, which he wasn't to do, yeah, he, he was disciplined for that he said, no you're not supposed to do that then two chapters later 1 Samuel 15 God told him go, to the, go and destroy the Amalekites in battle um, they had history with Israel God said go destroy them wipe them out wipe all, all, all their things and, and do that and, and obey me and he goes there and he doesn't do that he, when, when, the, when the prophet comes the prophet hears the sound of sheep the, the beating of sheep what's this I hear I thought the Lord told you to destroy the, everything and he says, "Well, I, I, these were the good sheep. I thought we would use it for our sacrifices." He did not totally obey the Lord. He didn't. He didn't obey the Lord's will. And then we saw, in, in again, this text alludes to chapter the, the end, of, in, in, towards the end of the book, where he goes to um, the, a medium of Indo. He wants Samuel has died, and now he wants to, a word, he wants to know direction from God, so he goes to a medium. I mean, this, is so, this, is, this is a violation of Deuteronomy 17 and 18 he goes to, to get a word from God from the dead prophets look at, again chapters, chapter 28 goes to the witch, the medium of Endor so that was Saul he, he, he's just in a bad place a breach of faith it's taken him down a, a, a horrible road but you know what again as, as, a, as that generation was, heard the stories of Saul they know that's not just about Saul <laughs> that they're like Saul In fact, this term, breach of faith, that we're talking about, this is the fourth time in the book of Chronicles that that the book, that that phrase has been there. Now, the first couple times in the genealogy, which, of course, you all skimmed over, I know. You skim over those two But three times previously, we saw one of them last week. Let me review them. Chapter 2, verse 7, it says of Achan, and this is alluding to the story in the book of Joshua, um, who broke faith in the matter of the devoted thing had to do with, again, the city of Jericho, what God's instruction were, was to, to the people during that time. Joshua 7 and 8, you can review that. But, he broke faith. And then, uh, chapter First Chronicles 5, verses 24 and 25, it says of some leaders of the households, fathers and all, famous men, it says, they broke faith, verse 25, with the God of their fathers, and they hoard after the gods of the peoples of the land, whom God had destroyed before them. So they had these, these False gods were there, and they could, were connected to those other gods, they, breaking faith with the, the God of their tradition, the God of, of their fathers. This is idolatry, false religion, clearly breaking the first commandment. And then in chapter 9, the passage that Craig used last week, one phrase there, it's, all, all Israel was recorded in the genealogy, and, and the, there in, the, in the, written the book of the kings of Israel, and it says, Judah was taken into exile in Babylon because of their breach of faith. So we've got to understand this. The breach of faith wasn't just Saul. It was the entire nation. And as they look back and read that, they say, okay, that, that's about us. That, that's about us. That's about our forefathers. It's about our grandparents and our ancestors. So, so this verse 13 to 14 is a summary statement for them. They that they are the ones who have broken God's covenant. The prophets had warned Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and the the minor prophets, that the the captivity would be God's answer to their disobedience and and that's what it was. Their idolatry, their disloyalty, their ignoring of God's clear commandments in the the first five books. And so this generation that had now returned from the exile, they knew their history. And, And so the chronicler just alludes to a few things. He doesn't really teach here, he just reminds. He reminds, doesn't really teach. But the point is simply this that Saul was a microcosm of the entire nation who broke faith. That's why the exile occurred. But it, no, it's not just Saul. It's not just Israel. It's us. We break faith. We break faith. We stray. We wander away from God's word. Lord, pr- prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love is what we sing, Come Down Fount. And when we wander away, God draws us back. He disciplines us to draw us back to Himself. James 1 talks about um, being double-minded, being double-minded people. Psalm 86 talks about the prayer, Give me, Lord, a heart that's united, a heart that's undivided. Because we are, aren't we? We're tossed back and forth. sometimes. Hebrews 11 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. We need to have faith and we shouldn't break faith. Whatever, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him those who seek him you know it, the word seek the phrase seeking God is, is a very important phrase in the book of chronicles it, there's quite, very, quite a few times it talks about not forsaking but seeking one, one um, commentator says about that phrase in the book of chronicles to seek God means to orient one's life toward him in active faith and obedience to be diligent in fulfilling the commands of the mosaic law to oppose idolatry, and especially to support and participate in the authorized worship life of the temple. Saul did not seek the Lord. And all the kings later encouraged to seek the Lord like David did. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 12 talks about about faith. It talks about looking to Jesus, who's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And then, you know, in in chapter 12 of, of, of Hebrews, it talks about discipline. The exile was a, a matter of discipline for them. And God disciplines his children. Hebrews 12 says, um, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? He quotes from the Old Testament Proverbs. My son, do not, be, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when, he, when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Did you catch that? The Lord disciplines because he loves the exile the 70 years of, of captivity was because he, those were his children the children of Israel he loved them and he loves us the Hebrews writer, writer of Hebrews continues it is for discipline that you have to endure God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline if you are left without discipline which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and not sons God disciplines us because he loves us and he's con- he's concerned about our life, our blessing and our joy and our and our, and our and our happiness. And and that's why he 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 disciplines us because he has a special relationship with his children. When we breach faith, God goes after us. The second thing, I want to we'll talk about some of the what are some of the signs and, and, and the, the evidences that faith has been breached. And uh, there's a, a few a few things here. And Again, we'll talk about some of these. One, verse 13. You, you see in that verse, it, it, it says, um, broke faith uh, in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted the medium. And then verse 14, the Lord put him to death. Death, you know, death is, was, is, uh, death is in the scriptures, is a separation. It's a separation. this physical death, but there's also spiritual death. When we're disconnected from God, and, that, and, and, and a spiritual death is one of the, the results where you don't sense the presence of God who is life other sign is, is again when you, the, the idol worship that's there the, this commitment to, to literally worshiping the wrong god which they had with Baal and, and Dagon and Asherah and Molech the gods, the gods that were around them now we don't, min, min, most Americans modern people don't, have, don't worship idols but, we, but, but see an idol is, is anything that we put ahead of God anything that, that, that becomes preeminent becomes exalted in our life above the true living God, that's an idol for us. So we, we're idol worshippers as well, because all, none of our hearts are pure here. It's a heart, it's very subtle, very subtle, idolatry. Like then there's, there's multiple worship. Idol worship is when you focus on one one God, multiple worship, and you say, oh, this, I'll, just, I'll just worship a lot of gods, a lot of gods. Now, I love in, in the book of Joshua, when he, knowing that he was about to leave, and knowing the hearts of the people he encourages them, he challenges them, to confront them, uh, to choose if they want to serve the Lord. Joshua chapter 24, verses 15, 14 to 15, um, he says, Fear the Lord, serve him with sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. No, the gods of Egypt or the gods here in the promised land with those false gods but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord See, not put, not putting God first not serving him is always a temptation for God's people it always has been and always will be but another, again another sign of breached faith is when is when our faith becomes insincere becomes just rote becomes routine doesn't have heart when we become hypocrites when we go through the motions of just reading and singing and praying, but not with a heart commitment to the things that are coming out of our mouth. We can easily be self deceived. We can easily be self deceived and spiritually blind. One man says that disloyalty to God inevitably results in disaster, whether Saul on an individual level, or Israel on a national level. It's true about all of us. And the sad result of this breach of faith was death. Death for Saul. Literal It's interesting that basically it says that the Lord's the one who is responsible for his death, even though he killed himself, ultimately the Lord's the one who did it, the Lord put him to death sovereignty of God there those who are truly in Christ will walk in repentance because they know that that, that, that they don't want to walk separated from God separation, spiritual separation we all need to walk in repentance, unless we repent we will not know the joy of our faith, the third thing I see is, is, is the good news that there's a God who doesn't, who, who, who comes and restores the breach. The God who restores the breach, and then again, the the last verse, really the last part of the last verse, it says, "The Lord put him to death. The Lord did something else though, turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. That's graceful. That's the that's the gospel. The, what what what's happening there? You know, the wages of sin is death." but the gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord. And the text says that the kingdom was turned over to David. And that points ultimately not just to David, but to David and David's son, and his son, and ultimately to to the Lord Jesus Christ who's the son of David. One of Jesus' titles in the Gospels was son of David. Now back in 1 Samuel again, chapter, chapter 8, again we said that he was the first king. People's choice, you remember later in, in, in Samuel, the book of Sam, 1 Samuel, um, they, they were looking for, looking for a king from Jesse's children, Jesse's sons, and, and they couldn't find one. And then he said, oh, you got one more? Oh, he's way out. He's just out in the, in the woods with the, with the sheep. And said, oh, he oh, where is he? Was, David was the one, that shepherd one. He was the one that was to be God's anointed one. He was very, must have been very different than, than Saul. But it says in, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God looks on the heart, and and, and that's who our God is. And so David is, is representing of the, the the ultimate King who was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. God cares about the heart, not the outward. You know, you know, we have there's some de- presidential debates that are happening. I think tonight's the sec- second one, and it's always interesting how much weight we put on the outward appearance in these debates. I was thinking about that the last few days. The history of debating in our country is very interesting. Presidential debates, many of you might remember if you're old enough, uh, 1960 debates, or you've heard about the presidential debates of 1960 between President Kennedy and Nixon. Kennedy and Nixon, quite famous. Television was pretty new in our country then. Um, CNN article says this. On radio, most of the pundits and polls scored the September 26, 1960 debate between presidential candidates Richard Nixon and John Kennedy as a draw with some giving the Republican, it was Nixon, the edge. But on television, it was no contest. Throughout the 60-minute program set in a Chicago studio, the 43-year-old Kennedy, quote, looked to be a radiating health, said presidential historian Robert Gilbert. Kennedy wore a dark suit, had a wide smile, and a vivid tan. Nixon, on the other hand, appeared pale and a bit listless. He had just gotten out of the hospital, where he had lost weight after a knee injury, in a gray, ill-fitting suit, and hastily he added pancake makeup. And Nixon looked, even if he did not necessarily sound, like a a pale shadow of the aggressive, composed senator from Massachusetts. And if you remember, if you know your history, which one became president? was Kennedy, though Nixon became president later. Uh, Bob, Senator Bob Doe, who was a young man then he, I was listening to it on the radio coming into Lincoln, Kansas and, and, and I thought Nixon was doing a great job Th- then I saw the TV clips the next morning and he, he, he didn't look well Kennedy was young and articulate and wiped him out and Time Magazine quoted this way while Nixon did look like death warmed over Kennedy did look like a movie star so, Kennedy, one that, that maybe if you go back even further, you know your history. Um, in the middle of the 21st century, 20th century, President Franklin Roosevelt, you might know, there weren't TVs in those days, but he would have these fireside chats where everybody would sit around the radio and listen to Franklin Roosevelt. You know, he was just, people you know, loved him, That was a great leader. Maybe he was, I don't know. But, but, but many people didn't realize that he, was struck with polio and was in a wheelchair. He, he hardly ever walked anywhere. He could walk, take a few steps. but did. Mostly he moved around in a wheelchair. Many people didn't know that. Because they didn't have TV. He, he wouldn't have passed the Saul test. Saul was rejected by God. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And so God raised up King David. King David. He turned the kingdom over to him. Now, for the chronicler, again, David isn't just David. David points to the son of David. In fact, he, he calls him David the son of Jesse, Jesse's son. In, in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, which, again, a little bit before the, uh, the chronicler, uh, it's, it's in chapter 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And that passage goes on and on, talking about the spirit of justice and one who's righteous, and all the things, it's describing the Lord Jesus Christ, it's describing the Messiah, who we know is the Lord Jesus Christ. The last verse, verse 10, in that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations require, and his resting place shall be glorious. It's talking about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's talking about. And you know, the book of Chronicles is the last book of the Old Testament in the Hebrew order of scriptures and so so, so this, this, this son of David is predicted and then the first book of the New Testament Matthew, the first verse says this the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ son of David here it is, son of David, son of Abraham so, so Jesus' is the fulfillment of, of, of the son of David, son of Jesse. In fact, in Romans chapter 15, Paul cites the verse from Isaiah chapter 11. He says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, the nations, the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. And you see, we who are Gentiles, and most of us are, we find our hope where? In David? No. In the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who's our hope. And he's the one that the, that the, the, the passage is pointing to. This tr- kingdom is turned over to David, but ultimately, the kingdom is turned over to the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In him, we have our hope. Where's your hope? Are you, are you hoping in Christ? If you believe in Jesus, is he your hope? The songwriter says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All over the ground is sinking sand. Is your hope grounded in God's salvation? It comes through simple faith. You know, Isaiah chapter 59, he talked about a separation, a breach, a gap. Behold, Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation, a chasm, a gap, a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, does not hear. So the gospel says that, that Jesus Christ has, has, has bridged that gap. So believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and find forgiveness of sins and find la- life everlasting. Have you done that? Have you confessed Christ? Repent. Turn. Agree with God. Receive his forgiveness because of what he did on the cross for your sins. Pray the simple prayer of, of the, the, the man at the temple who said, God, be merciful to me. The center have a heart that's broken before him there's also something else here in our application I, w- I want us to see that, that there's, there's a methodology in how we help other people, how we counsel others I want us to think about the chronicler, the writer of this book and his strategy it's kind of global here but I want you to do this see the post-exilic community needed to be encouraged that the discipline was over you get that? That God now had a wonderful future for them. Yes, there was exile. Yes, there was captivity. Yes, they were moved from their land, but that was over. Now they were back in their land, and God had a wonderful future for them if they would be faithful and not commit the same uh, errors that the previous generation had. So, so the chronicler is very encouraging. We'll see as we go through this book that and, uh, Craig mentioned last week. That there, David was not a perfect man. But if we just had Chronicles, we might think he was. <laughs> this is very, this is a very encouraging book, and there's wisdom for us as we minister and help other people here. See, the people of that generation, they knew their Bible, they knew their history, which we have in, in 1 Samuel, in 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel, 2 Kings. They had those, they knew that history, and so the Chronicler doesn't review all that history for them to get them all down and depressed. The 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 exile is over. Let's move on. Don't dwell on the past. It kind of reminds me of of John John chapter four, the encounter that Jesus had with the woman at the well. Jesus knows her past. He knows what's going on. He knows her present. He knows her. He knows all things, but he doesn't dwell on her sin. He doesn't ignore it. When she's ready to, 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 you know, he says, "Don't you you have a husband? Go get your husband." (laughs) He doesn't ignore the fact that she's got some issues. He doesn't dwell on them. He says, you got issues, but you're going to find that the Messiah, I and the Messiah are going to solve your issues. We need to, as we do, as we work with people, we need to have the, 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 the gentle uh, wisdom and, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that when when one feels the conviction of his spirit, then it's time for the good news to kick in. That there's gospel, there's grace, there's good news for those who would call on the name of the Lord. I love how in, in, in the book of, of Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is talking about his own past <laughs> and the stuff that he went through, his self-righteousness and his sins and all that, but he says forgetting what lies behind, I press on, I move on for the goal, the prize, or the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is an encouragement to encourage the faint-hearted. Don't blast the faint-hearted, encourage them. The chronicler does that. That's instructive for each one of us. And the, the last uh, application is is just for each of us. There's a to beware the, the danger of spiritual drift, the danger of spiritual drift, which is what happened in Saul's life. The, like Saul, spiritual decline in our lives can be defined by often a series of very visible steps of disobedience. First Samuel, I mean, we looked at those three steps, but th- those steps come because the heart has not been continually being nurtured by God in His Word and through prayer and through fellowship. Those remedies of daily devotion and of fellowship with God's people and of worship and of activity in God's kingdom are preventative in our lives. And spiritual drift comes when we, when we, when we neglect those means of grace. Revelation 2 talks about uh, how the church at Ephesus had... had abandoned their first love, the love they had at the first. That doesn't happen instantly. It's a series of, of driftings that take place in people's lives. The Danger of spiritual drift. Again, David points to the son of David, Jesus. And Jesus is, in the New Testament, clearly the son of David. Let's look at Romans chapter 1. The, the introduction to the book of Romans, it says this. The gospel concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. Jesus Christ, the son of David, is, is the answer to all of us who, who, who struggle with our faith, who at times have a faith that's broken and need to have our faith repaired and patched up. Where do we go? We go to the gospel. We go to the Lord Jesus Christ. In contrast to Saul, we have the son of God. And Jesus was called faithful and true. He, Jesus kept the faith for us. Ultimately, Jesus is the true worshiper at the Father's right hand. So we approach the throne of the Father through Him. And so we can have effective worship, God honoring worship, for one reason and for one reason alone. Because Jesus Christ is our mediator. Amen? He's the high priest. He stands between heaven and earth. And he, as the high priest, you know what he does? He took off his priestly garments and climbed upon the altar for you and for me at Calvary. It became the perfect sacrifice so that our worship can now be acceptable on the basis of what he did. And as we approach the throne of grace in the name of Jesus, God hears Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. To draw near. Draw near in prayer. Draw near in worship. You want to draw near to God? Believe that he is, and believe that he's the rewarder of those who seek him. Continue in your faith. Don't forsake your faith. Nurture your faith. Nurture your heart. Don't let, don't let the cares of this world make you drift away and break faith. Be part of God's fellowship. And, and the toughest time to do that is when you're hurting. That's when you need to fellowship the fellowship most. That's when you need to pray the hardest, the most diligently. That's when you need to get a word from God when things are going wrong. Don't be like Saul. Let your faith drift. Stay engaged, stay connected to God, his people, his church. Jesus Christ is there. But the Chronicler gives us this one chapter of, of, it's really a downer chapter here, reminding us of, of, of the danger of drift and of breaking faith with you and of, of, of spiritual adultery and idolatry. And Lord, we we want to hear that. And that. There may be people here today who need to hear that, who need to know that I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm not all that. I've really got some issues. I need to come to Jesus. I need to come to the cross. Well, there may be some here today who, who need to be encouraged and blessed by you. I pray your spirit would do that as well. You know that we have the son of David, who, who, who we have all, the mediator, the only true mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in him, we are, we are his and he is ours. And Our hope is in him. And he will not fail us. He will take us to glory. But use this word in our lives this week to encourage us, to help us to be strong in our faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close acapella, we'll sing the song Wonderful, Merciful Savior together.